Okay, take your Bibles with me this morning and turn back to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Yeah, I've, I know that uh, religious-minded people uh, seem to be of the opinion uh, that it is detrimental to the child of God uh, to have assurance of salvation. Uh, that it's not God's will for you and I to know that we have eternal life. They think, and we're going to deal with that this morning in the worship hour, everything in religion, false religion, basically is a carrot and stick mentality. In other words, you either get the reward or you get the punishment. And that's the motive. And it's just not that way. You know, we're talking about this, this lesson will be the fourth in this series on Ephesians chapter 3, the manifold wisdom of God, part 4. You think about this. Our father in the faith, Abraham, the father of the faithful, what did he believe? Huh? What was his hope? On what did he rely for his eternal salvation? You know, we, we went through... When we were raised in false religion, we learned all those stories, didn't we? You remember learning about it? We learned about Adam and Eve. We all learned about the Adam, the apple in the, in the garden, you know. We, that's, that, that's a horse of a different color itself. It doesn't anywhere say it's an apple, but that's the way, we, that's the way we're taught. And we learned about Adam and Eve, and we envisioned them as little bitty boys, you know, and... and uh, and then we heard about, you know, we all heard about David, and he was portrayed like a little child, you know, a little young boy, probably 12, 13 years of age out there, and got his little slingshot, and he, he kills the giant Goliath, you know, and on and on and on and on. Listen, those people, th those are ju just not lessons for us to learn that kind of set us on the right track of what religion calls the straight and narrow way. All of these individuals that I just named to you, Adam, our father, the father of all men and women, by now, the re representative of all. Abraham, the father of the faithful. His sons, Jacob and Esau. King David. All of them were men of like passions. All of them were sinners saved by God's grace. All of them were in need of something that they could not produce by nature. All of them. So again, what did Abraham believe? Well, we know according to what it says over in Genesis chapter 12 that Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, I know some want to argue that his faith was accounted to him for righteousness. Listen, God does not count imperfect faith and account it to you and me as perfect righteousness. He cannot do that. What did he believe? Well, Paul makes it clear for us. Abraham believes on him who justifies, and this is an admission of what he was by nature. Who does God justify? The ungodly. Now, how does God justify the ungodly? There's only one way. Only. What? Acts 13, 38, and 39. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that by this man is preached unto you <clears throat> the forgiveness of sins. What's preached to you every time we stand up here? 
Every time any man that stands in my place stands up here. If Bill Parker stands here and preaches in our conference, or Gary Shepard, or in the future, if any other man comes in and preaches for us, what are they going to tell you? What are they going to talk to you about? The forgiveness of sins. By him, all that believe are justified, declared righteous from all things. From how much? From all things from which they could not be justified by the law of Moses. So Abraham believed on him who justifies, declares righteous what? What he himself was. He, he knew what he was. He was a sinner. What are you and I? Same thing Abraham was. What do we need? We need the competence that Abraham had. Abraham staggered not at the promise of God, was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and that what God had promised, what? He's able to perform. Now, what's God promised us? If you're a sinner here this morning, and you've rested in this gospel that we've preached, rested in the Christ declared in this gospel for these 36-plus years, Today, this morning, as you sit here in Grace Baptist Church, or if you watch us live on live stream on any of these different features that we have, Facebook, YouTube, Sermon Audio. What's the promise that you're read? What, what's, what's God promised you? This, John said, is the promise that he hath promised us. What's he promised us? Eternal life. And this life is found one place where it's in his son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son, what? They have not life. Do you have the Son this morning? See? Because Abraham staggered not at the promise of God, believing in what God had promised. Can he do it? And by God's grace, God's children, those sinners in and of themselves, constantly wrestling with and bombarded in a warfare from which they will never be delivered in this life. What do they do? They need something to comfort them, to encourage them, to give them hope when everything seems hopeless. Because I don't know about you, my tendency is when I look within, it's hopeless. My God, when I look without, it's hopeless. If I look to anything that I've done or been enabled to do, preach 36 years, and I tell you what, not any of it or all of it combined has done anything for me, ever. Doesn't, it has not put me one step closer to him. And when I fi fail miserably, when I do not love God, I was talking with a lady this week, I, you know, that's the thing. Religious people cannot understand that the, 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 the closer the Lord draws us to himself through study of his word and through him moving our hearts to prayer and through love of him and love to the brethren, instead of seeing as ourselves as better or more improved, what do we see? We see more vileness. We see how far short our love falls. I see how little lack of faith I have. Huh? I don't, I don't come away from anything God does in me thinking, well, I'm better now than I was six months ago. Better now than I was 36 years ago. I'm going to tell you what I said this, and I will continue to, to, to say this until God takes my breath from me. I, am, I, am, I actually see myself worse today 
36 years into this thing than I did when he first brought me to himself. People say, well, that's just, that's not what we've been taught. Well, it wasn't what we was taught. What were we taught? You're progressively getting better. You're being conformed to the image of Christ. And if you're not being, and see, that's the thing. That's where it gets so vague. They'll never tell you what the image of Christ is. Because to them, the image of Christ is what? Going to church, giving a tithe, trying to love your wife, trying to love your husband. But listen, that's, that's not being conformed. It's not try. Nowhere does it say try. It says what? Be ye therefore holy. Even as my Father which is in heaven is holy. And anything short of holiness is unholy. I mean, what do you have to do to get unholy? I mean, tell me the standard on that. One, 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 one millionth of a degree less than holy is what? It's not holy anymore. So we need to know, we, we, we need to know our standing before God because it affects everything. It affects our prayer. It affects our love and our devotion to our God. It affects our love and devotion one to another. And John made it clear. These things, what? This promise that we've talked about? The witness that God's made of us, that the witness of man is one thing, what, whose witness is greater? God's. And what he's witnessed? That, we, that we're his. That we're redeemed. That we're saved from all... I mean, think about it. What does justified mean? Huh? If you're justified, what are you? You're justified. Does that make sense? And nothing's going to change that. Let men, let, let, let the pot of this earth contend with the pot of the earth. You are not by anything that you do changing how you stand before God. Because if that's true, what? Christ didn't do his work. He was unnecessary. It's you plus him. And it's not that way. So John tells us what? These things have I written unto you that you might know. What? That you might have confidence that you have eternal life. And that you might continue to believe. God, Lord, because see, that's the thing. I, I believe it, but most of the time, what do I do? I question it. And I question it not because I have any question to him. Where am I looking? And it destroys all hope. It does. It's death to our souls. Not spiritual eternal death, but death in our relationship. It, it clouds the relationship. Our sins separate from our God. He doesn't change his mind about us. He doesn't say, well, I'm, I'll, I'll do away with them now. But they, do, they cloud us, do they not? Fill us with doubt, anxiety, fear, unbelief. And so what we need to know, we need the manifold wisdom of God, don't we? The question is, where do we get it? See? Look at our text, verse 9. We left off in verse 8 last week. I always say I'm not going to do that, but I do it every time. That wasn't none of that. In any, that wasn't a single note on this page about any of that. <laughs> so if you want my notes, I can't give you that. You're going to have to get somebody to transcribe this out on Sermon Audio. <laughs> Notice what he says here. And to make all, you see men is in italics, to make all see. Uh, you see that? 
what are all going to do? They're going to see. What are they going to see? Every one of them. The fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world was hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Paul tells us here in this verse, verse 9, that God, now think about who's, who's done this. God, who, our God, David said, our God is in he heavens whatsoever he pleased, that he did, right? So our God, according to what Paul tells us here, our God is purposed to, to make all of his children, that word all has to be, it's qualified here. This is not all men and women without exception. Who is it? It's all of God's elect. It's all the sheep. It's all the wheat. It's all those that he gave to the Son in the everlasting covenant of grace. It's all those that he's already said back over in chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us. The us is the same as the all. Do you see that? He's blessed us, all the us, where? With all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Where's he blessed us? In Christ. According as he has chosen us, same all, chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, comma, period, in love, having predestinated us unto what? The adoption of children by Christ Jesus unto himself to the praise, glory, and honor of his grace. So God's going to make his people to see what the Holy Spirit moves him to write down under divine inspiration the fellowship of the mystery. Now listen to me. This, this, made, this knowledge made known, because that's what it is. This understanding that God gives to his people. It's not reserved. Now, I used, to, I used to think this when I was a Reformed person. I know you did too, Kitty. We all thought this way. I used to think that all you had to do was believe in Jesus. Didn't you? Know what you thought? You had to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Well, then I got to become a Calvinist. And then, you know what I thought? I began to think that since I had that higher, because to me it was just higher knowledge. It was just, I had studied more. And God had kind of broadened my, my view somewhat. And so I just thought it was higher knowledge. And I, I, my, my argument used to be people would say, well, do you and Billy Graham and Jerry Falwell and all these other people, y'all believe the same? Well, yeah, we do. We believe the same thing. I just have a little more knowledge, a little more light. And they said, why don't, and this, this shows how stupid that kind of an argument is. They said, why doesn't God, if this is the truth, if this is important, why didn't he show it to Billy Graham and all these Armenian free with the D.L. Moody's and the, the, all them guys that had, had reached millions of people across the globe? Why didn't he? And I, my, my, my statement used to be this, because they wouldn't be evangelical. Because this is so hard for the, even God's children to say. This mystery, listen to me. You, you, you compare Scripture with Scripture. It's over in Isaiah, I think, and our Lord said it. I'll get you the verse on it later. I, I can look in. But in John chapter 6, verse 45, our Lord quoted from Isaiah. I, I'll, let, let me get it where I, I can give it to you right now. In John 6, 45, which is a quotation from, 
Isaiah 54, no, it's not, yeah, it's Isaiah 54 verse, no, it's not. I think it's in Jeremiah, isn't it? But Isaiah 54 verse 18 says basically the same thing. Listen to this. Isaiah 54 verse 18, which I didn't know that until I was studying for this this week. Not, not Isaiah 50. 54 13 says, And all the children, all the children shall be taught of God. You see that? Isaiah 54 13, all the children shall be taught of God. I think Jeremiah is the one that said it. There's no, no man to say, Every man his neighbor know the Lord, for he said, They shall all know me from the greatest to the least. I don't know what, if you know what that verse is, look it up. Tell me, and I'll tell everybody what it is. But I know it's, I think it's in Jeremiah. So what I'm saying is this. This manifold wisdom, this fellowship of the mystery that he's talking about, it's not something that just a few theologians figure out. Not say, what did you find it? Jeremiah 31, 31, 34. That's where... Or the verse I quoted to you from, Jeremiah 31, 34. He reveals it to who? Well, let me show you who he revealed it to. Look over at Mark chapter 4. Now, there were some dudes called scribes and Pharisees that were scholars, right? Spent their time studying the Scripture. Mark chapter 4, verse 11 says, not to them, but to the twelve, to his apostles. Mark 4, verse 11, unto you it is given to know the mystery of God. But unto them that are without, all those, these things are done in parables that seeing they may see and not perceive and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven. Paul put it like this. Let me read this one. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, he says of the all, the redeemed, the elect of God, he says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Now, he said in our text that God's going to make all his people to see the fellowship of the mystery. Paul says, we speak the wisdom of God and a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, what would they have done? They wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. Because the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ was not only the salvation and redemption of his people, what is it? It's the judgment and condemnation of the reprobate, without exception. John said this, except you be born again, what can you not do? You cannot see. You see that? You cannot see the kingdom of God. Here's a good question. What's the fellowship of the mystery? Think about that. What's the fellowship of this ministry? I know this much. Whatever Paul's speaking of, according to our text, it's something that has always been in the mind, will, and purpose of God. This, this fellowship of the mystery, it's always been. Huh? Because where, where was it at? 
was in him. What is he? He's eternal. So if it's eternal, whatever this misfellowship or the mystery that he's going to reveal to his people, it's always been in the mind of God. Always. And I also know that it's something that has, listen, it's been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. That phrase, hath been hid, is one word in the original. It means concealing or keeping secret. Concealing or keeping secret. Listen to this. Christ used the same word concerning he prayed to the Father, and he thanked God. Now think about this. this you know, Christ, I'll never forget, as long as I live, one of the, probably one of the best college football players that ever played football, that everybody made such a big deal out of Tim Tebow. What do you always have right here? Every football game. John 3.16. That's the most misinterpreted, misunderstood, misapplied verse in God's Word. Because his thoughts are just like, just like the ones that everybody used to laugh at, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. Well, how'd they always come on the air? God loves you, and we do too. Even in false religion, I used to think, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker don't know me. How could they say they love me? Huh? But Christ, this Christ, the Christ of God, it says, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, Father. This is the prayer of thanksgiving. What's he thanking God for? This is Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. Lord of heaven and earth, here's the same word, because thou hast hid. Who did it? The Father. What do you think about it? The thing that sets men free, what does God do? He hides it from somebody. He hid it from these. And the eternal son, thank God for it. He said, you hid these things from who? Wise and prudent. Who you revealed it to? Babes. The mystery, you know what the mystery is? It's the gospel. That's what's hidden. If I, you know what Paul said? 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians? If our gospel be hid, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if our gospel, what's hid? The fellowship of the mystery. If our gospel be hid, it's hid from them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded their mind, lest they see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And this, the, think about it, the fellowship of the mystery. The fellowship. When I see that word fellowship, you know, I always think about when I when I every time I see the word fellowship, you know what verses always come into my mind? First John chapter one, verse one through four. Every single solitary time. Here it is. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. They got a bit. They, you think about it. John, who's writing this. We they got to hear Christ's words with their actual ears. But he said, not, not only did we hear him, what do we do? We saw him with our eyes. They saw the Lord of glory, which we looked upon. And not only that, we handled him. John laid on our Lord's chest, <laughs> ate with him, fellowship with him, talked with him. And he said, we handled him. And how did we handle him? He's the word of life. 
For the life was manifested. What kind of life? Eternal life. And we've seen it. And we bear witness of it. And show unto you, what are we showing to you? That eternal life which was with the Father. What's eternal life? Christ. Where was He at? Where was eternal life? With the Father. And what's He done now? He's manifested that eternal life, the Son, to sinners. So He says, that which we have seen and heard and we declare we unto you that you also might have. Here's the same word. You might also have fellowship with us. And truly, and let's think, think about that. Think about it. His desire, John's desire, is that we, all God's elect in every generation, what could we do? We could be in companionship or participation or partnership or association. That's what that word means with Him, with Christ. He said that we may, you may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, why would you tell us about this fellowship, John? Here's why. These things about this fellowship write we unto you that your joy may be full. So I tell you what, the only way your joy is going to be full, what do you got to understand? The fellowship. Huh? That I'm in his hand. That Listen, that I, you think about that. This is amazing to me. We are the apple of his eye. I remember when we were waiting for Matt to be born, and I used to get on the floor over in Dar Street where Pam and I lived over in Shreveport, and I would lie down on my back on the floor, and I would hold Jeremy up in my arms and let him act like he was flying a plane, and he was just a little tyke. He was three years old, and I was on the floor, and Pam was in there sick as a dog, pregnant with Matt, and just about to have him, and all of a sudden, she said something. I turned my head, and he fell forward, and he stuck his little bitty tiny finger in his left eye. And I thought, and it felt like every eyelash, you ever got an eyelash in your eye? It felt like every eyelash was in my eye. I pulled every eyelash I had out of my left eye. I mean, I was snatching eyelashes, and it was just watering and pouring. Come to find out that little bitty tiny fingernail had reached inside of there. That's the most miserable 24 hours I, I waited. I went to the emergency room, and they said, we can't do nothing for you. You've got to see an eye doctor. And so I, dro I drove myself, because Pam couldn't, I, I drove myself through Shreveport. It was, no, it, it was my, it was this eye. So I had, to, I had this eye cover, and I was trying to turn the blinker on, everything driving all the way around Shreveport, trying to get to the, to the emergency room. And they said, we can't do nothing for you. We can call in something for pain, but it was all the way out on 171 south of town. It was like five or six miles out of the way, and so I just went home and thought, I'll tough it out. Come to find out, he had tore the, cor the, the, the cornea part of my eye. He had, just, he had just shred it back, just pushed it back. Well, the apple of your eye, according to the definition of the Scripture, you know what it is? It's the, the, the tenderest part of your eye. You know what it is? It's where your pupil's at. And he says he'll keep us as the apple of his eye, you and me. Sinners by birth, by nature, by practice, and by choice. We have this communion of grace, this, this fellowship, this association. Now, think about what he's saying here. It's a, a communication of grace by the Holy Spirit. How do we get it? Through the preaching of the gospel. Somebody has to tell us about it. 
Somebody has to tell us about this righteousness. It's a fellowship, which I've told you already, it means a, 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 a participation or association, or even like this one better, it's intimacy. You ever been intimate with anybody? It's intimacy. That's about as close as you can get, isn't it, when you're talking about intimacy? What are we, what are we intimately joined together in? Huh? The truths and doctrines of the gospel. Isn't that the tie that binds you and me together? Because I tell you what, if that's not what binds us together, the relationship's gone. And it's a communion with who? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Which, listen, this is what he's saying. The gospel calls us and leads every single solitary one of God's redeemed, both Jew and Gentile, into the concern and interest in the privileges and blessings that the gospel declares to us. That's what John said in 1 John 1, 1 through 4. He wants us to have everything that Christ bestowed upon them in this life. And Paul tells us that this fellowship of the mystery, what it's been hid in God who created all things by Christ. I, I like what John Gill wrote on this concerning this thing hid in God uh, who created all things by Christ. He wrote this, it was hid in the heart of God in his counsel, in his covenant, which shows the original source of the gospel. Who, who came up with this gospel? Richard Warmacker, Bill Parker, Henry Mahan. Oh no, it goes much further than that. Paul calls it what? The gospel of God. It's his gospel. And expresses the richness and the valuableness of it, as well as its safety and secrecy. Here, he tells us that it was hid in some measure from who? The elect angels didn't see it. Many of the Old Testament saints just saw it through a glass dimly. You and me are basically the same way, even in our generation. And altogether, unnatural men, what did they do? They didn't see it at all. Couldn't see it at all. Especially the Gentiles... Which God, what did he do? At the time of their ignorance, it tells us he winked at it. He winked at it. And it was kept so ages past from the beginning of time till now and was laid up in the breast of God from eternity for it was ordained a gospel that was going to sound forth this good news of a righteousness established in Christ Jesus our Lord. It was ordained before the world for the glory of his people. Amen. <laughs> Verse 10, to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. God reveals to you and me here in these verses that this mystery of the church and the salvation of the church, you know what it does? It reveals to those elect angels in heaven what God's doing. And they're amazed by it. Look, hold, hold your place there. Look over at 1 Peter chapter 1. This is astonishing to me. The, the glory of God and the salvation of his elect people who are in and of themselves ungodly sinners is the means, now think about this, it's the means 
by which God instructs his angels. Because you think when the angels fail, what did God do? He passed by them, reserved a third of them into eternal chains of darkness. There was no mediator. Why were they reserved? There was no mediator. You think about it, there's one mediator between God and who? Not angels. See, everybody gets all bent out and say, well, that's just not fair. Well, what about those? Think about that. We're sent, well, really self-defeating argument there because it was done before we'd done it. He chose us in Christ before we'd done any good or evil. But you think about that. The, can, can you think of anything outside of our Lord Jesus Christ and our God himself any holier than those angels that are able to abide in his presence? And yet, when they fail, nothing. Condemned forever. But it's the means by which God instructs them. It, 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 you think about it. They watch. The, they are getting to see the unfolding through generations. Now, from, from the very fall, when Adam fell in the garden, to his restoration in the garden, to his, his expulsion from the garden to Noah and the flood, to Abraham and the prophets, to our Lord coming into this earth and being persecuted and suffering and bleeding and dying as a substitute and a surety and a representative and a savior for his people. They've seen all of it, folks. And they see, they see the particulars. of it. Look here at verse 9, 1 Peter chapter 1. Receiving the end of your faith even the salvation of your soul. Now listen to this. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired, searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what and what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that would follow, unto whom it was revealed that not only themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven. And you ought to highlight, underline, and put a circle around it. Which things the angels desire to look into? You think, save him? A murdering David? An adulterous David? You think, you think they don't appreciate the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ? Look back at our text, verse 11. All of it, he says, is according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again and again throughout this epistle, Paul reminds us of God's goal in all these wonderful displays of his wisdom and grace. Think about this. Peter, when he stood up before the Jews, he said the kings of this earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth, against the ho thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. They had a plan, didn't they? We're going to get rid of him. But... For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. 
Not one blow smote our Lord that did not come from the hand of our God. Huh? See, think about it. God's goal is to glorify himself in the salvation of sinners. And this goal or purpose is said to be one place. Where is that? In Christ Jesus our Lord. Because all God conditioned all of his glory on Christ when he anointed Christ to represent his people, those that he chose and gave to him, and he conditioned all of their salvation, not on them. Where, where is every single solitary condition of my salvation? In him, on him, every bit of it. Surely he hath borne our grief and carried our sorrows. We saw him stricken, smitten of God, right? Why? God required it. Verse 12, in whom we have boldness, not brashness. We have boldness. And here's something else you and I got. All these, all that he reveals, the mystery, uh, the fellowship of the mystery. What do we have? We have access with confidence by faith of him. We have access to God. Uh-huh. High priest could only go within the veil how many times? Huh? Behind the end of the holy holy, one time a year, and that not without blood. Right? Now, they could work in the, in the other part of the tabernacle and later the temple. They couldn't go into that holy, holy, but one time a year. Didn't go in without blood. What about everybody else? They were secluded either in the inner court or in the outer court. Never to go inside. They just had to, they had to by faith, trust that whatever that priest was doing in there was for their benefit. Right? We have something that even the high priest didn't have. What can we do? We have access to him how often? Huh? Anytime. Anytime. You think about it. As children of God, we, we are to have a dogmatic, and I cannot overemphasize this, we should have a dogmatic confidence as we have free, continual access into the very presence of God who is our covenant God and truly our Father. <laughs> you and I can pray our Father which art in heaven. The world can't. Now they can. And we have this confidence and access. Why? Because we're more sincere than any other. We're more faithful than any other. We're more moral than any other. No, in Christ which means that the only hope and cause of our salvation has nothing to do with ourselves, our regeneration and conversion, our justification and sanctification, our adoption into the family of God, our final conformity to Christ. What are they? They are all, every single solitary one of them, they're the fruit and the effect of what Christ did for us by his very obedience unto death, based on his righteousness alone. We sing it. Over and over and over. In 36 years, how many times have we seen, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, right? Do you believe that? Well, then listen to the second part. <laughs> I dare not trust the sweetest frame. Not the worst frame, the best you can do. But holy rest or trust where? In Jesus' name. Not just Jesus that this world talks about, but Jesus' 
name, Jehovah, my salvation. The God of my salvation. We have to remember that no matter how we feel, and this, 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 the only way we can do this is by faith. No matter how we feel, no matter how unworthy we know us, ourselves to be, our only hope, our only confidence and access is what? The righteousness of Christ. When I'm on the mountaintop, how do I approach him? Huh? I've served you well this week, Lord. Oh, no, no. Don't you come like that yet. Child of God won't. How do we approach him? In Christ. We're in the muck and the mire. Falling the furthest from him. Approach him. Huh? Have mercy on me. My God, my God, my God. He's my God. He's my confidence. And here's the thing. His righteousness, and this kills the religious world, his righteousness never varies. It never diminishes. And so our confidence and our access, what should it do based on that? That's why we find ourselves crying most of the time, what, Lord, I believe, do what? Help my unbelief. I, I, write these two verses. I don't have time to read them. I want to get done with this this morning real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 and 31. I, I will quote it. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us, what? Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. As it's written, he, that's glory, he that glorieth, let him glory where? In glory, one place, huh? In Christ, that's all you can ever glory in. I don't care what you accomplish outwardly. I don't care how moral you might be. I don't care how much you might think you keep the law. You can't glory in any or all of it. And then write down Hebrews chapter ten, verse nineteen through twenty-two. I tell you that 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 ought to be our anthem right there. Listen to you. 10, 19 through 22. Having therefore, brethren, boldness <laughs> to enter into where? The holiest. How? By the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true a true heart. Now listen to this. this. They didn't tell me this in false religion. We're to draw near with a true heart. You can't make your heart true. Who can? Solomon said that. Who can say I've made my heart clean? I'm pure from sin. Who can do that? We draw near with a true heart. How's our heart true? In him. In full assurance and faith. How is that? Having our conscience, heart sprinkled from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What's that? That's his person and his work. But look at verse 13, and we'll quit this morning. Till we come, no, verse 13, I'm going to jump over. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. This thing that he says, his trial and his trouble, what is it? He said, it's for your glory. It's for your good. What did Paul suffer for? Huh? Why did they hate him? 
I, they loved him before. Now they hate him. Why? The offense of the cross. Christ and his blood and righteousness. And see, he says, if I am able to continue to preach this gospel, this mystery, fellowship of the mystery, what should it do? It should give you confidence and assurance and peace. It should, certainly shouldn't discourage them. Because you think about it, our greatest glory in this world consists in what? Huh? Think about it. What's our greatest glory in this world? Suffering affliction for Christ's sake. Our Lord Jesus Christ said this. This is you and me. This wasn't just to them. Blessed they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Not theirs. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. And why are they doing it? Because we're dressing different? got our hair fixed different, we talk a little different, we don't go to the picture show or the cinema, we don't read magazines, we don't watch TV, is that, is that why we're persecuted? No, for my sake. Why? We will not compromise his truth. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, because listen, for so persecuted they the prophets that were before you. See, this suffering, you know what it do, does? It proves our love for Christ. It does. And it reveals our true feelings concerning the honor of God's redemptive character. Listen, I, the, the greatest concern for the child of God is for, for me is this. You can say a lot of things about me, but don't you dare touch the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Huh? That's the most important thing. May the Lord give us grace and mercy to constantly have assurance and confidence in the one who came here and gave himself for us. Okay, you're dismissed to the worship. I appreciate your prayer.